Welcome to Have You Heard, an IDF podcast. This podcast is a service of the Immune Deficiency Foundation, a nonprofit organization that improves the diagnosis, treatment, and quality of life for people affected by primary immunodeficiency. People living with PI are the zebras of the medical world, and the IDF community is one big zebra herd. 2022 is already more than half over, so we at IDF are reflecting on the goals we've set and the progress we've made toward meeting them. On this episode of Have You Heard, Jamie Sexton, Director of State Policy, and Becca Russ, Grassroots Advocacy Specialist, discuss the organization's advocacy work at the state level so far this year and the progress we've made toward improving the lives of those in the PI community. Let's get started. Thank you all for joining us today. I'm Jamie Sexton, Director of State Policy with IDF, and I'm also joined by Becca Russ. Becca? Hi, I'm Becca Russ, and I am IDF's Grassroots Advocacy Specialist. Today, we're going to be discussing an overview of state policy happening so far this year in 2022. Given our limited time together, we're going to be primarily focusing on four main legislative priorities. Plasma availability, addressing barriers to treatment access, the creation of rare disease advisory councils, and vaccine issues. Now, what do those mean? Legislation addressing plasma availability at the state level deals with tackling regulatory barriers that don't align with federal standards and inhibit the adequate collection of plasma in particular states. Addressing barriers to treatment access can take many forms, but in 2022, this primarily took the form of copay accumulator legislation. We'll get into the details of that in a little bit. Uh, the creation of rare disease advisory councils is pretty self-explanatory. And for vaccine issues, what we're referencing is legislation seeking to remove non-medical vaccine exemptions from public school immunization requirements. Non-medical means religious or philosophical exemptions. So now that we've given you a broad overview of the issues that we're going to be touching on, let's jump into it. We're going to start out today talking about plasma availability. Now, there are currently only five states with no plasma donation centers, Alaska, Connecticut, Hawaii, New Hampshire, and Vermont. However, there are several states where plasma collection does occur, but they have regulations on the books that greatly inhibit the efficiency of that collection. IDF engages on both types of issues. In the first category of states with no source plasma collection centers, this year IDF supported legislation in Connecticut seeking to address regulatory barriers to the collection of source plasma within the state. This legislation was successful and while there is still work to be done there, this was a huge step toward lessening the strain on the global plasma supply. IDF also continues to engage on plasma legislation in states like California. California has been a multi-year effort to address barriers to the efficient collection of plasma in that state. While the state does have some source plasma donation centers, there's not a sufficient presence in the state due to regulations that don't align with a federal standard and inhibit the efficient collection of source plasma. That effort is ongoing and California residents should expect to be getting some action alerts in the coming months, asking them to contact their elected representatives about that. Becca, can you talk a little bit about some of the outreach our community has done on this issue so far? Yeah, absolutely. So our advocates in California have really done so much to further the efforts on this issue in their state. The first big grassroots push was actually back in 2020 
uh, when nearly 30 IDF advocates participated in the California Virtual Advocacy Workshop. So their efforts on that day really made a huge difference in you know, moving this legislation along. Since then, nearly 150 messages have been sent to California legislators urging their support in addressing these barriers to plasma collection in the state. And uh, as Jamie said, we will certainly be staying engaged on this issue at the grassroots level in the future. So just keep your eyes out for some more communications about that. Thank you so much for that, Becca. That takes us into our next issue, which is going to fall into the barriers to treatment access category. As discussed, uh, that legislation it's taken the form in 2022 of copay accumulator issues. And copay accumulators are an issue that we've heard a lot about from our community in the past few years. Those of you listening are probably very familiar with the term and have probably read a good bit about it between our social and our website or action alerts. But let's briefly talk about what that means and what that legislation looks like. Many members of our community, including many of you that are listening, rely on copay assistance to be able to access their medications. Copay assistance can come from a variety of sources, whether it be nonprofits or charities or the manufacturer of specialty medications. And copay assistance is like money in our patients' pockets. Uh, it typically comes on a, a prepaid debit card of sorts that they use when filling their prescriptions. Now, in the past, copay assistance has traditionally applied to patients' copays, as the name indicates, as well as their deductibles and out-of-pocket maximums. That was before the rise in something called a copay accumulator program. Copay accumulator programs are something that we've seen um, being implemented increasingly over the past four to five years. They're a health benefit design where insurance companies are saying you can still use that copay assistance, but it is no longer being applied to an enrollee's deductible or out-of-pocket maximum. This is a stark change from how this assistance has always been applied and, in our opinion, is a loophole that has been found and been able to be exploited to the detriment of those individuals reliant on these specialty and often expensive medications. So how do we solve that? The legislative fix for this is something called copay accumulator legislation, and essentially all it does is simply say that any payment made by a patient or on behalf of a patient, such as through an assistance program, must be applied to the enrollee's out-of-pocket obligations, and that includes deductibles or out-of-pocket maximums. So these legislations are usually very straightforward. On occasion, you can see an amendment that kind of strays from that straightforward approach, but for the most part, they're very simple, straightforward pieces of legislation. Coming into 2022, 12 states and Puerto Rico had enacted laws banning copay accumulator programs. Arkansas, Arizona, Connecticut, Georgia, Illinois, Kentucky, Louisiana, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Virginia, and West Virginia. In 22, we've seen Maine and Washington both enact legislation, bringing that count up to 14. Additionally, legislatures in Delaware and New York have passed legislation this year that will hopefully be enacted any day now. Over a dozen states considered or are still considering legislation to address this issue in addition to the states that have enacted this year. And IDF is hopeful that more will pass before the end of the year. Becca, this is an issue we're hearing more and more from our community about. What are some ways community members can engage on this issue? 
So with this issue, it's really crucial to show that copay accumulator programs are impacting real people within your state. So individuals who have maybe encountered a copay accumulator program themselves, we really encourage you to reach out to IDF to share your story. Really, the best way to do this is by submitting a Faces of IDF handout. And essentially what that is, is the handout that you can use as a resource and that IDF can also use as a resource that shares your story and talks about, you know, how important it is for you to maintain access to your treatment. And that's really a resource where you can talk about how the copay accumulator maybe impacted you, you know, being able to access your treatment. Also, contacting your state legislators about this issue in general is something that everyone in the community can do, whether they face a program like this or not. So IDF frequently sends out our action alerts, which allow members of the community to easily reach out to their legislators about copay accumulators and the impact that they're having across the community. So just want to encourage everyone to make sure you're subscribed to get those action alerts as we send information about copay accumulator programs fairly frequently. Wonderful. Thank you, Becca. And that leads us into another issue that our community can and often does engage in. We've seen a lot of activity around rare disease advisory councils, or RDACs for short, this year, with four states having passed legislation to create those in their state in 2022, Colorado, Georgia, Maine, and Connecticut. Can you talk about ways our community has gotten engaged on this issue at the grassroots level? Of course. So RDACs have, as you said, been a really big issue that our community has gotten engaged on a lot in the past few years. So last year, advocates from New Jersey, Michigan, and South Carolina took part in IDF virtual advocacy workshops. And during these, they advocated for the creation of RDACs in their states. And the actions of these advocates played a really huge part in building support for the eventual establishment of RDACs in New Jersey and South Carolina, and also just educating legislators about the need for RDACs and what they'll do once they're established. This year, advocates from Arizona and Colorado We'll also be educating legislators about RDEX in their own state and how they will benefit the PI community statewide. Wonderful. Now, Becca, we also have many members of our community living in one of the states that have already passed an RDAC legislation creating one of these advisory councils. What would you advise PI community members living in those states? Yeah, so once your state has created an RDAC, there are still so many ways that you can engage with that body after it's been established. A lot of RDACs have a website or something online, a page that you can go to to learn a little bit more about them. So really encourage you to take that as your first step to see you know, how your RDAC has been organized, who might be on that RDAC and so on. Also, if your state's RDAC meetings are open to the public, which sometimes they are, they have pretty regular meetings in different states. You could attend those meetings to see what issues they're tackling, or perhaps even speak with the members about your own experiences after that meeting concludes. Also, you can just write to that RDAC uh, yourself, introducing yourself, sharing that you're a member of the PI community, and that you're also an IDF advocate. It's just a really good way to introduce those members to the PI community, what it means to have a PI, and also sharing your own personal story. And then lastly, you can keep an eye on the memberships of your own RDAC. You know, joining your RDAC might be something that you'd be interested in the future, but there aren't any openings right now. 
just keeping an eye on that roster and seeing when those members might be, you know, up for reappointment, you can submit an application to be appointed to that council yourself. So really encourage you if that's something you are interested in to keep an eye on those membership lists as well. That's wonderful advice. Now, Becca, you mentioned IDF's upcoming state advocacy workshops. Can you share a little more about those events and what they're going to look like? Yeah, absolutely. So we're thrilled to be holding IDF's two state advocacy workshops in person this summer and fall. So for those who aren't familiar with IDF state advocacy workshops, these are events where members of the PI community from across a certain state come together to learn about their state's legislature, how to effectively advocate to their state representatives, and they also learn about a specific legislative issue that is active in their state. And as I said previously, the legislative issue for the upcoming 2022 workshops will be RDACs. So following a training in the morning, participants are then able to meet with their legislators in the afternoon and put the skills and information that they learn during the training in the morning to use. Wonderful. I know that you and I are both very much looking forward to those and getting back mm-hmm. to members and programming. So where and when are the state advocacy workshops occurring this year so that those that are listening can know the details? Yeah, so the first workshop is in a few short weeks on August 11th. And that will be occurring in Phoenix, Arizona. Registration for the Arizona workshop is open until August 5th. So just be sure to check out that information. And if you live in the state and are interested, be sure to register before that August 5th deadline. And then also in October, the second workshop will be taking place in Denver, Colorado, which we're really excited about as well. And uh, registration for the Colorado workshop will be opening sometime in early September. So just keep your eye open for that if you live in that state as well. So the last issue that we're going to be discussing today is legislative efforts to remove non-medical vaccine exemptions from public school immunization requirements. As everyone listening probably knows, the PI community relies on herd immunity for protection because vaccines are often less effective for many people with PI due to their body's lack of antibody response that a fully functioning immune system would be able to produce upon immunization. Additionally, live vaccines can actually be dangerous to members of our community's health. For those living with PI, even the most common viruses and bacteria can present an enormous health risk. As such, IDF is concerned about the threat to public health that's posed by persons and whole communities who are opting not to vaccinate or to under-vaccinate and actively supports legislative efforts aimed at removing non-medical vaccine exemptions. One such legislative effort that IDF engaged on this year was in Massachusetts. Residents of this state might recall this legislation being one of our priorities during our state advocacy workshop in Boston back in 2019. As you can tell, we've been working on this issue in Massachusetts for a few years now, and this year looked quite promising. Uh, Unfortunately, within the last week or two, we got word that the bill has actually been sent to study, effectively meaning that the bill is dead. Uh, But we do believe that a lot of phenomenal educational groundwork was laid on which to build a successful effort in the future for this legislation. And that's what's really important to remember about state policy. It's often incremental, which can be frustrating, but change doesn't happen overnight. All right, we're going to take a quick break to learn about some of the resources we at IDF offer to the PI community. We'll be back in just a moment to discuss more of our state policy initiatives.
Recently, the IDF Nurse Advisory Committee developed and approved an I am immunocompromised card for use in case of emergencies. The card includes spaces for emergency contact to your family and primary care physician, as well as your specific primary immunodeficiency, to inform emergency responders that treatment requirements may be a little different for you than they are for most other people. To download the emergency card for free, visit primaryimmune.org slash immunocompromised dash card. That's primaryimmune.org slash immunocompromised dash card. You can also find the link in the show's description. That brings us to the end of our four state legislative priorities that we have time for today, but you can find more information on the other issues IDF engages on in the Advocacy Center on our website. However, there is another way many PI community members can stay more informed on state legislative issues. Becca, do you want to talk a little bit about our Health Access Advocate program? Absolutely. So IDF Health Access Advocates, or HAWS as we tend to refer to them, are volunteers who really play a critical role in you know, us achieving uh, success in our efforts by providing a local voice to media and government officials. So they really are a force at the state and local level. And these volunteers work with IDF staff in their area to educate policymakers about these different legislative issues related to PI. We also encourage them to, you know, specifically talk about issues that may be directly impacting them or their family. And really, HAWs are just so essential to us achieving these policy goals across the states. And, you know, we really consider them our first line of defense at the state level when we need to have that patient voice shared on certain issues. Really encourage anyone who is really involved in advocacy or is interested in learning more about that program, you can reach out to us directly or we have information on the um, advocacy center about that position as well. That's wonderful. Thank you for that information, Becca. And I I hope that those listening to this are um, going to be looking up that information and maybe interested in volunteering as a health access advocate for IDF. So I'm assuming that the majority of our HA activities over the past couple of years have taken place remotely because Mm -hmm. virtual advocacy has become such a large part of how the PI community has safely engaged in advocacy during the pandemic, correct? Yeah, yeah, it absolutely has. So Finding ways for the community to safely advocate for those with PI has certainly been a challenge over these past few years, but also in many ways during this time of, you know, increased risk for the PI community, it's really become more important than ever that the voices of our advocates have, you know, are being heard. So really those two conflicting situations where, you know, trying to find a way for people to still advocate and having that greater need for their voices to be heard. That is very true. So how have IDF advocates made their voices heard virtually this year? Yeah, so uh, prior to 2020 and, you know, the onset of COVID-19, efforts were really largely done in person. So whether that was, you know, providing testimony at a bill hearing, holding meetings with legislators, coordinating with other patient communities, a majority of that was done in person. But now individuals in the PI community have a lot more flexibility in how they can make their voice heard, which is great. 
Um, so virtual meetings, which you know we all know have really exploded in popularity across the board in 2020, have also become a vital tool in advocacy as well. So a lot of legislators found that they could connect with constituents from either across their district or state in a way that was both convenient and effective. So the benefits of this change of kind of moving things virtually has also reached our advocates as well and has really ensured that, you know, those who may have limited time or resources or, you know, might face other barriers to getting involved in advocacy can still express their needs to those who represent them. And then on the other side of that, we've had a growth in communications through email and social media as well as virtual advocacy as kind of risen over the past few years. So just for example, so far in 2022 alone, over 1,400 emails have been sent by advocates through our IDF action alerts. So really overall, you know, these forced adaptations that all of us have faced over the past few years have actually opened the door to increased participation in advocacy through these virtual methods. So that's definitely, you know, uh, upside to the challenges that we've faced in the past few years. That's amazing progress, Becca. Um, and it's hard to believe that 2022 is over halfway done already, but it's great to look back and see the amazing job that our advocates have done so far this year. IDF was able to hold our third virtual advocacy day in 2022. Do you want to talk a little bit about how that event went this year? Yeah, so uh, we were fortunate enough to be able to once again adapt our annual advocacy day to a virtual format so that advocates across the country could still meet with their legislators and talk about IDS federal priorities. So it was really wonderful this year to see a lot of familiar faces and then also welcome some new participants to the event as well. Um, and in all, we had nearly 150 members of the community advocate to their members of Congress from their homes across 35 states. So it was really a great event and we're happy to have so many people participating. That's great. And then following the virtual advocacy day, we also hosted an in-person mini hill day, correct? Yeah, yeah, we did. So in mid-June, uh, we had a small group of IDF board members and local advocates as well uh, convene in Washington, D.C. for our return to in-person advocacy, which was amazing. We were all really looking forward to, you know, pounding the pavement, shaking hands, and really just getting to sit at a table with individuals, um, you know, face-to-face. -face. So, you know, while in-person advocacy certainly looks different nowadays than it did before COVID-19 was around, uh, this event was really just a great start to, you know, shifting to the new normal of what advocating for the PI community is going to look like. Love it. And that was a really wonderful day, heat aside. Yes, <laughs> it was a little <laughs> warm, but, but it, was, it was great to all be together for sure. Absolutely. And it, it's certainly getting us back in the groove to host um, our normal annual advocacy day mm -hmm. for the entire PI community coming up next year back in person on the Hill. Absolutely. Yeah, we're so looking forward to that. And I think all of our advocates are really looking forward to it as well. Very much so. And that leads us also, speaking of our Federal Advocacy Day, into a quick plug to keep an eye out for a podcast coming out later this year, where we're going to be joined by Lynn Albizo, IDF's Vice President of Public Policy, who leads IDF's federal policy efforts where she'll be discussing updates out of D.C. that impact the PI community. And that wraps us up for today. Thank you so much for joining us. and Happy advocating. This podcast is a service of the Immune Deficiency Foundation. 
If you like our show and want to learn more, please subscribe to this podcast so future episodes will be sent to your device automatically, and leave us a review on iTunes so that others may discover this podcast as well. To learn more about primary immunodeficiency and the PI community, please visit the IDF website at primaryimmune.org. For more information on how to get engaged in advocacy on behalf of the PI community, check out IDF's Patient Advocacy Engagement Toolkit at primaryimmune.org slash patient toolkit. If you have a question you would like answered, email us at idf at primaryimmune.org. Thanks for tuning in.